Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by Spencer Shaw. Spencer, it has been a while. How are you doing? You know, it's been so long you forgot to introduce me as our oh, resident no. theologian in oh, training. No. I did. So that just that just shows how long it's been since we've been able to record one of these that we don't even remember how to do it. I'm going to have to... I, I think I spent half an hour adjusting volume before we got started. <laughs> gonna, I should have written that in the the notes to make sure I got that. But I, yeah, it's been, a, I think, a month or so. Uh, since we've recorded in that time, there's been uh, hospital trips, there's been uh, spider infestations, there's been all sorts, all sorts of stuff. You, you name it, it's probably happened to one or both of us over the past month. Yeah, it's it's just been a weird time, and the uh, you know podcast. I would I would say that we took a break from the podcast, but we really didn't. We just had other things so pressing and dire that uh, the podcast it was a yeah, forced yeah, break. Got, right, we didn't have. It wasn't really our choice. We were kind of forced yeah, into. We, we didn't go on vacation or something. In fact, we probably both. Unless need you kind of hospital a visit a vacation, and if anybody does, come see me because I'll fix that real yeah, they, quick yeah <laughs> last last time though we introduced uh or it was it was t- two times ago i think we introduced uh the foundation of what we were going to be dealing with about atonement and other things last episode we talked about uh was jesus's incarnation necessary did he need to be human uh and the short answer was yeah and went through a long process to get there uh for this episode which builds on on all of that uh the answer is yes but much simpler or at least a little simpler and we'll get into that in just a moment Uh, i want to remind everybody that is listening uh, that if you have thoughts on some of our uh, our, our episodes here, or you have some suggestions for future episodes, uh, you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Get a hold of either Spencer or I on Facebook, and I won't forget uh, our resident theologian and trainings uh, Twitter. So make sure that you thank go you to, <laughs> go to Spencer on Twitter uh, and message him there. Uh, today we're talking about was it necessary for Jesus to be fully God? So the the other side of uh, the the previous episode about him being human. Now we're dealing with Jesus being fully God as well, and what all of that means. Uh, Spencer's got four reasons. I'm just gonna let him let him run with it. It's a simple, a little simpler answer. Yes, Spencer, tell us why it was necessary for Jesus to be fully God. Yeah, so kind of as we get into this, right, we, in the last episode, we talked about Jesus being fully human and why that's necessary, if necessary for Christian theology, because our belief about God, our belief about salvation, everything is built upon Jesus being fully human, uh, God becoming incarnate, 
as a human being because God's already done that. If if you listened to that one, uh, we, we talked a little bit about how it's a bad question with that one to ask, was the incarnation necessary because it's already happened? So it's kind of a mistake to try to go back before that and say, well, God, could could God have done something else? Who knows? But And he probably could have, but that's what he, God chose to do. And so we have to start there, start with Jesus and kind of build our understanding of God, salvation on top of that. But what we believe about Jesus is not only that Jesus was fully human and the significance of him being fully human, but we also believe that Jesus was fully God. And that is necessary for Jesus to be fully God, specifically as that relates to salvation, which goes back as you mentioned when we got started two episodes ago, where we talked about atonement theories, what happened at the cross, uh, kind of the the nuts and bolts of how salvation works. And so part of my hope is in this episode, the past couple, and where we're going to be going in at least the next two, uh, maybe even more, is to begin to see how all of these are connected together, mm-hmm. how what we believe, what Scripture teaches about salvation and about who Jesus is are connected and dependent upon each other. If you take out a piece of any of these three episodes so far, everything else begins to fall apart. And we're going to kind of continue to build on this foundation and ask more questions moving forward. So I kind of hope you get to see that because that's really what thinking theologically is, uh, is beginning to put all of these pieces together and see how they fit and how they work and how they build upon each other. But to begin to address this question of was it necessary uh, for Jesus to be fully God, uh, like you said, I've kind of put together four primary reasons why it was necessary for Jesus to be fully God, why that's important and essential. Uh, And the first is maybe the most simplest point is that Scripture affirms it. Scripture teaches us that Jesus was fully God. We see that in places such as John 1, where it says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we're told in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The Word, they're referring to Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. that Jesus was God, but became a human being took on flesh and dwelt among us. We see it in another popular passage in Philippians chapter 2, where we have the Christ hymn, where it says that Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So here we have Paul affirming that Jesus before becoming a human being, was in the form God. He, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's the idea of, he, he didn't count his equality with God something to be held on to so tightly that he was unwilling to leave his place, his position in heaven and become a human being. But in saying that, Paul is affirming that Jesus was equal to God. He was in the very form of God. He was one with God. And then he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of human beings, uh, being born as 
a human being. And so in texts like John 1, Philippians chapter 2, and plenty of other places of the New Testament, we see the affirmation that Jesus was and is God who became a human being. And so the first reason is simply that scripture affirms for us that Jesus was fully God. Yeah, uh, just very, I mean, very plainly said in a number of places there by John and Paul. And there are other texts that we could, I mean, we're going to go through quite a bit of text here in just a moment, but um, other texts that just very clearly lay out for us the nature that he was human and God at the same time, fully in both of those respects, and that that needed to happen that way. There's, uh, and I don't think we're talking about this really in any depth today, but there was a, a belief that comes, a false teaching that comes along later that they have to deal with that directly attacks this episode and the episode prior's points in different ways. Uh, about Jesus being fleshly or not, and all of that. And so uh, John, later on as well, uh, we'll get into that whole idea. But uh, the point is there. It's all over Scripture. It's all over the New Testament, uh, especially about uh, Jesus being fully God uh, in that that's just how he was. Uh, but then these next few points here that Spencer's going to cover for us uh, deal with uh, why why it, why it he had to be uh, fully God, because there are things that only God can do uh, that Jesus needed to be God for or wouldn't have been able to do it and would have caused some problems uh, for potential Christians and all of those things. Uh, Spencer, what's what's number two after Scripture affirms it? What are some of the uh, maybe deeper, more uh, interpretive places we need to go? Yeah, so um, the second reason that I have is that Jesus needed to be fully God because only God saves, because only God is truly righteous. And with this second reason, we start to solidify a little more the necessity of Jesus being fully God and the fact that he was not just partly God, but fully God. Because theoretically, you could make the argument based on passages such as John 1, Philippians 2, that, yeah, maybe at some point Jesus was fully God, but Jesus, the human being, wasn't. He was partly God. He was kind of God. He gave up his godness. I mean, you, something along those lines. But when we start to think theologically about the significance of Jesus being fully God, we see that Jesus, the fully human, also had to be fully God in order to save us. And we believe, go back a couple of episodes, but at the core of Christian belief is that we're saved because of what Jesus did at the cross and through the resurrection. And so if Jesus wasn't fully God, then the cross and the resurrection were meaningless because they can't offer salvation because God is the only one that can provide salvation. Right. And the reason for that is because God is the only one who's truly righteous. And again, uh, we, we see this laid out for us in Scripture. All human beings are sinners. Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. 
not only that, but we as human beings seem to have a, to, to be bent in some form or fashion towards evil. This is something that in future episodes I, I, I hope to cover more in depth. But uh, a passage that I like in this regard is Ephesians uh, 2 and uh, verse 3 where Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of humankind. It's always been interesting to me that Paul says that our life, he's talking about our life prior to Christ, and he defines it as living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and being by nature children of wrath. It seems just on a very basic level, like I said, hopefully in another episode we can delve into this in some more detail, but on a pretty basic level, Paul seems to affirm that if we as human beings are just left to our natural desires of our body and mind just to do what we want to do, we're not going to live for God. Uh, We're going to be the people he describes in Romans 3.23 when he says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, We seem to just naturally gravitate towards things that we shouldn't be doing, uh, gravitate towards sin. I've described this before. I'm not sure if I've done it on this podcast before, but I described this to people by talking about the selfishness of children. Anyone who has children, anyone who's been around children, knows that children are selfish, that one of the first things a child's going to say as they're growing up is mine. I, I want, This is mine, not yours. When someone else, another child plays with one of their things, when something's taken away from them, a child's going to get upset because it's theirs. They, they tend to n- be selfish. That's why it's so important to teach children uh, things like, Humility, uh, teach children to share, teach children to think and care about other people uh, because they're not born doing that. They're born looking out for themselves, and we learn how to care more for others than we even do for ourselves, which is one of the things we're called to as Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you take all that together, when you realize, yeah, we're all sinners, we seem to have some kind of of bend, some kind of tilt uh, towards evil. Um, as we see in Ephesians 2, as we see with with children, uh, the logical and only conclusion from that is the reality that we as human beings can't save ourselves, right? We're so engrossed with sin in all of these different ways that we can't be the solution to our own sin problem because we can't get out of our own problem. We all have this same problem that none of us individually can fix. And so, It takes something more than just a human being. You go back to our last episode, it takes a human being to save a human being. But the problem with us as human beings is sin that we all have, that we all commit, that we're all, uh, as language Paul uses in Romans, that we're all slaves to. And so it takes something other than a human being because we can't save ourselves. And only... God, therefore, saves. It takes an act of God to save us. One of the, I've got a professor, and and one of the things that he says, and I agree with him, is kind of the underlying theme of all of Scripture. 
from Genesis to Revelation is that only God saves. That's kind of a mantra that you can see over and over and over throughout Scripture is that only God saves. And that's the reason. Because of sin, we as human beings can't save ourselves. And when God saves us, we're made righteous. That's one way to think about salvation. There's many ways, but that's one of them. Uh, That we are made right with God, uh, that we're made right with creation and other human beings, uh, that we're made right by the removing of sin, being able to live in the right way, the way that God created and designed us to live. Uh, That's all encapsulated uh, in the idea of us being made righteous. And only God is righteous. Again, we, because of sin, are not righteous. God is the only one who's truly righteous. So it's only God that can save, only God that can provide us with righteousness. And uh, a couple of passages I'll just rattle off here real quick. Uh, Psalm 11 and verse 7 says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Uh, We see in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are to seek after the righteousness of God. Why? Because we don't have our own righteousness. If we're going to be made righteous, if we're going to be saved, we need that from God. Uh, Philippians 3 and verse 9, Paul says, Uh, And to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Paul says that we're made righteous not by a righteousness of our own because we don't have our own righteousness. Specifically in this context, Paul's talking about the law, that the law can't provide us with the righteousness that we need, but it's only through faith in Christ, because it's in Christ that we have access to the righteousness that's from God, the righteousness of God that we are given. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, Paul tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says the new self that we have in Christ, the the new saved self, if you will, is a self that's created uh, after the likeness of God. Uh, I, I take that to be we begin to once again fully reflect God like we were created to as his image bears back in the beginning, but that has been messed up, that mirror that's been cracked because of sin. But the new self that we put on in Christ is one that is being renewed in our ability to reflect God. And Paul says that we reflect God, how? In true righteousness and holiness. We begin to live in true righteousness and holiness by reflecting God, by putting on a new self that's in Christ. Again, it doesn't come from us. It comes from God and only from God. So to achieve any of that, to achieve salvation, to achieve righteousness, to receive a new self to be recreated to better reflect God. Any of that is something that we only get from God. And if we believe that that all comes through what Jesus did, through his life, death, and resurrection, then that means we have to believe that Jesus was fully God. Otherwise, Jesus could not, as anything other than fully God, 
provide us with any of those things that are necessary for salvation. I'm reminded, and I, I don't have the specific reference uh, to this in the Gospels, but um, when you have the uh, when you have the uh, man that cannot walk, and you have Jesus being confronted by the Pharisees, saying, "Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk?" Because they're claiming him to be blaspheming. And he's forgiven this man of his sins, or at least said it, and that's where the blaspheme accusation comes in. Uh, and he responds to them, you know, which one of those is easier? But so you understand that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He tells him to take up his mat and walk, which is the harder of the two, because it's this thing, to, this physical thing to watch play out that's not supposed to happen. Well, here Jesus does that. If he can do that, then he can save, and only God saves. That's why they were so ticked off about, you can't say that, only God can do that. Exactly. That's me. Uh, and he he goes and does it. That's the passage I was reminded of. It's somewhere in the Gospels. Matthew, I think. Mark, Mark. 2. Okay. Oh, it's Mark 2. I was going to say, it, I was going to say, read the whole thing. It's good. But it's only the second chapter. It is. It is found in in Mark chapter okay. two. It, it is Mark two. Um, fun fact: since I'm teaching Mark, this has nothing to do. But side note: the the statement uh, that the uh, Son of Man uh, has the power to forgive sins statement. Um, if you have a red letter Bible like I do, that's in red, as in Jesus saying it. Right. Um. Take note, interesting, I don't think that's a statement by Jesus. I think that's a side note by Mark saying, describing that what Jesus has done has proven that he is the Son of Man, can forgive sins. Um, mm. Not that that matters too much. Just uh, That's an interesting thing that I came across because in Mark's gospel, you have the messianic secret. Jesus hides his identity, right. particularly up until uh, chapter 6 where we get Peter's confession. Uh, so it it doesn't quite make sense for Jesus to be so out front that he is God, because like you said, he's the accusation is that he's blaspheming right. because only God forgives sins and Jesus is claiming to forgive sins. But he's still trying to hide his identity. The story before, he heals a leper, tells him not to go and tell anybody. Right. Um, two stories before, uh, three stories before, he's uh, casting out demons and telling the demons not to speak. So it, it it doesn't quite make sense that Jesus would say that and be so out front with who he is. He kind of, he gives hints, bits, and pieces. It doesn't fit Jesus saying that into the overall narrative of Mark. Um, but that has nothing to do with this. It's just an interesting little tidbit that that's probably... Mark giving a little parenthetical statement. Hey, it's a little extra for describing what's happened. A little extra for people to study after they go from here. But um, point being there, uh, aside from all of the other passages that we mentioned under this point, a lot of places that show uh, this oh, only God saves that humans cannot do that for themselves. Uh, this goes right into the third reason here, um, because 
somebody who saves you, there would be at least the temptation to worship, repay in some sort of uh, of way, uh, or you know, thank to the point of praising or or what have you. So reason number three here of why it was necessary for Jesus to be fully God is only God is worthy of worship. Uh, walk us through that, Spencer. So all throughout Scripture, we see the command not to worship anything, anybody other than God. It dates all the way back to the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. where, uh, which is the center of Israel's law, not, not to uh, worship any other God. And so for, from the very beginning of the biblical story, we see the command for human beings not to worship anything other than God. And we see in places such as Romans 1, 18 through 32, the reasons why. Uh, Paul there describes uh, the results of worshiping anything other than God. And it's, in essence, Paul roots all sin there. Maybe maybe not all, but I think you can pretty much all sin there as to exchanging, in Paul's words, the, the worship of of the creator God to the for the created, worshiping things that have been created rather than the creator. Paul says that that results in all of your other sins. All the other things that you do is because you've given up the worship of the true God to worship something else. Mm. So not only from the beginning of Scripture do we see God's command not to worship anything else, but we also see what happens when we do start worshiping uh, other things, when something other than God has given priority in our lives, it leads to all kinds of other problems, all kinds of other sins. But if a human being could provide salvation for us, then we would be right to worship that human being. In other words, we would be right to worship something or someone other than God if something or someone other than God could provide us salvation. I think we are right to worship the one who is able to provide us eternal salvation. So if that was a human being, if it was an alligator, I mean, we would be right to worship that human being or that alligator because they've provided us salvation. But as Scripture and as Christians confess, we are to worship nothing other than God. And so if we're going to worship Jesus, then Jesus has to be fully God. Otherwise, our worship would be idolatry uh, to worship Jesus. But we rightly worship Jesus. It's interesting. Uh, It was actually the worship of Jesus that was one of the reasons that early Christians developed a theology of the Trinity. There were a lot of things that went in that caused early Christians to sit down and begin to think about what it means for for God to be three, but yet one, mm-hmm. and one of that was their worship, uh, just kind of sitting down and realizing, hey, we come together every Sunday and worship Jesus, but we also believe and worship God the Father as well as the Son. How do we line those two things up? How can we worship both without committing idolatry? How can Or how can we worship both the Father and the Son without having multiple gods that we're worshiping and falling into polytheism rather than being monotheists and believing in only one God. And so it was that understanding that we as Christians worship Jesus 
that helped contribute to early Christians having to kind of figure out not only who Jesus was, fully God, fully human, but also how Jesus fits into the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah, I remember uh, you, uh, it's a book I read, I think it was this year that I read it, uh, but watching the, or seeing the, the process of trying to figure out uh, the the Trinity and how all of that works, and there have been a lot of uh, issues throughout the the years, at least very early on, of how it does and does not work, or how how it might and how it cannot work. Maybe is the better way to say that. But uh, yeah, uh, coming down to worship, I remember somebody a uh, long time ago uh, the song. Father, we love you, we worship and adore you, but then we go, Jesus, we love you, we worship and adore you, Spirit, we love you. And I remember talking to somebody that had issue with that because they weren't sure, because only God can be <laughs> worshipped. But mm. yeah, that that, that is God. There there was there was issue with the with that, and I remember that discussion a long time <laughs> ago. But um, nice to know that we weren't the only ones to. Uh, ever struggle with that whole idea. Uh, but Jesus being worthy of worship, quite clear uh, that he is worthy of it uh, because of uh, because of being God and being Savior and uh, all of that. Um, that's, I mean, that gives us into reason number three. It's okay to worship him because he is fully God. If it wasn't okay or if he wasn't fully God, it would not be okay to worship him. And there are other places where uh, an angel refuses, you know, worship. Please do not worship me. Worship God alone uh, and that sort of idea. Uh, reason number four is fairly straightforward. <laughs> it's extremely straightforward. Uh, reason number four is love. That's why it was necessary for yeah. Jesus to be fully God. It's just love. And the only Love, thing under I mean, it's John three sixteen. <laughs> Walk us through it. I, I I feel I feel like we should just mic drop love and move on. There it is. Um, but yeah, I, I like you said, all that I've got the John three sixteen, which is what I think of. For God so loved the world uh, that He gave His only Son to save us. I mean, that's what John three sixteen says, right? Yep. Is that uh, because of love? Uh, God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life so that we can be saved. Um, side note, another fun fact, Jesus may not have said John 3.16. It could be parenthetical by, by John, John yeah. as well. Uh, they don't, early manuscripts or Greek manuscripts, you know, don't have quotation marks. So special, John's the hardest one. We don't know where, because John, Cause he definitely the author, does some speaks a lot. John does. Yes, yeah. he speaks a lot explaining. Jesus says this. John will give an aside explaining what that means. Yeah. Which John 3.16 through 21 is an explanation of what Jesus has just said to Nicodemus. So is Jesus explaining himself more or is John explaining what Jesus has just said? Mm. Um, that has no bearing at all on what yeah, we're talking way. about. It's all inspired <laughs> It's all inspired by the Spirit. Right. It's all God speaking it in one way or the other. It's just interesting. Maybe it needs to be in black letters, not in red letters. <laughs> At least have a footnote. But I don't. I don't. I didn't translate the Bibles. Fair Anyways, uh, 
But Jesus being fully God shows us God's love for us. We've talked about this in previous episodes. I think love is one of the things, maybe the thing, that needs to stand at the center of our understanding of God. Therefore, it stands at the center of our understanding of everything else, of who Jesus is, of salvation, because Scripture only ever says that God is one thing, and that is that God is love. Uh, God, that which to me puts love on a different level of everything else that's said about God. Love is so center to who Jesus is. And when we think about the Trinity, at least for me, that makes sense because love exists between the members of the Trinity. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share love between one another. There's nothing else about God, no matter how central that exists in the very makeup of the Trinity. We think about God being a God of justice or of beauty or whatever. That doesn't exist in the very relationship within the Trinity. Love seems to is at the very core of literally who God is. You take out love, everything else falls apart. And so we need to understand what God's done for us in Jesus as an expression of God's love. Why does he become a human being? Why does God save us? Why does God desire to make us righteous? Why why does God desire to fix the problem of evil? All of that is because God loves us. Just If you take out love and just talk about anything else, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's beauty, whatever it may be, that doesn't compel God to actually do anything about our problem. He will see the problem. He won't be a part of the problem, but he doesn't necessarily have to do anything about the problem. He can just let sin do what sin does and leave us in our misery. But the reason God doesn't do that is because of how much God loves us. And the ultimate expression of God's love is for God himself to leave his place in heaven, to become a human being, and to die on a cross. If God did it any other way, if God did it through a human being, even if God initiates it, we don't see the same level of love than God actually doing it himself. God saving us himself shows us a level of love for us that could, cannot and could not be matched by doing it any other way. There we go. Save the best for last on the the reasons there, uh, but uh, where we needed to go. It, to to some degree, that kind of uh, sums up the rest of the or it, uh, has within it the rest of the reasons as well. God uh, set the salvation of Christ uh, there, uh, and only God can save. It doesn't have anything necessarily directed about worship, but it does direct our attention that whoever believes in him does direct our attention to uh, the Son as the, this is where salvation is found, that's where worship should be directed because he provides salvation, and of course, Scripture affirming uh, there what Jesus came to do, uh, especially if it is commentary on what is said prior to that in John, then it's scripture affirming 
something Jesus said in another setting. And so it kind of just fills in all of this. Like you said, love being the the central point, the the reason that uh, goes into everything else. Uh, very, I was going to say very quickly, I don't know. We Maybe we give them two episodes. You just, why don't you take the next 40 minutes so we give people two episodes worth of uh, time in one episode. Talk about the significance of this, uh, of Jesus being fully God uh, and the, the reasons that we've described here. What What is the significance of all that, Spencer? Yes, yeah, so this I think really will actually be quick because I don't have anything down here that we haven't talked about before. And I, it's just, I, I want to make sure we have kind of some applications, just remembering why all of these other points of significance is significant. Now, the first thing I have there is salvation, that we can find salvation. We have salvation in Jesus. Uh, this is kind of a summary of this episode and the previous mm. one. Because Jesus was fully God and fully human, we have salvation. We can find salvation uh, in Jesus. We have access to God uh, in Jesus. Scripture tells us that we we no one has seen God, but those who have seen Jesus have seen God. We have access to God. We have access to salvation because Jesus was fully God and fully human. Uh, we get to see and experience uh, God and God's love. Again, we have access, a relationship with God through Jesus, and we get to see and experience the love of God in what Jesus has done for us and the salvation that he has provided for us. Uh, just kind of going back, not only is love at the center of who God is, but I, I would encourage you just to spend some time and dwell on how much love God has for us in choosing to save us in the way that he did. And think about it as God choosing. Because even if you want to say there was absolutely no other way for God to do things, God didn't have to do anything at all. But the fact that he chose to do something and do it himself shows us a level of love, like I said, that can't be matched in any other way. And so uh, we get, because Jesus was fully God, fully human, we get to see and experience and live within that love that is unmatched, unparalleled in any other way. And then this kind of goes back to something that we talked about uh, last episode. Uh, because Jesus is fully God and fully human, God understands our weaknesses. He understands our struggles. He understands our temptations. Uh, we talked about if God wasn't fully human, then he wouldn't have really experienced temptation, suffering like we do. Uh, and so Jesus yeah. couldn't relate, couldn't understand but because Jesus was fully God, not only does that and and fully human, not only does that mean that Jesus actually suffered and was tempted like we do, it means that God actually suffered and was tempted like we are. And so God not only understands, he can empathize because he's been there. I want to encourage us to make sure that we don't leave any kind of temptation or struggle outside uh, or on the periphery of what Jesus faced. It's difficult for us to sometimes to think of certain temptations. Uh, I think for a lot of us, particularly things of a sexual nature, lust, things like that, is, well, Jesus never had any temptations in that arena. 
Um, I think that goes against what the Hebrew author tells us, that Jesus was tempted in every way. Every way means every way. It doesn't mean in most ways or some ways. It means in every way, like we are, uh, yet without sin. And so I think it's important on one level for us to understand that Jesus can empathize. He's been where you have been, wherever that is. He struggled with what you're struggling with, whatever that is. Um, But not only can he empathize with us, but because of that, mixed with him being fully God and that he was tempted in that way but didn't sin, he can help us. He can provide aid. He can provide comfort. He can provide help as we deal with those different things because not only has he been there and he understands it, but as God, he has the power and the ability to help us through whatever it is we're dealing with if we're willing to to simply turn it over to him and allow God to work. I, I like the Paul says that there's not a temptation that we face that's not common to human beings, mm-hmm. but that within every temptation, God provides us the way of escape. Not that we can overcome every temptation, not that we can provide our own way of escape in every temptation. There's going to be plenty of temptations that we can't overcome by our own power, but through the power of God, we can overcome anything. God's the one who provides the way of escape. I think even more than that, when we think about uh, Jesus suffering like we do, the Hebrew, author, the Hebrew author references that too. And I would also make the argument that a lot of the times suffering and temptation are the same thing because when we think about, for most people, I would argue, the biggest temptation to turn away from God in some form or fashion is suffering. When we suffer, that suffering, while maybe not what we traditionally think of as a temptation, that suffering can most definitely work as temptation to turn away from God and to turn towards something else. Sure, yeah. And so I think we need to, I I don't think we need to necessarily say that they're always the same thing, but I do think we need to hold them hand in hand. And so when we think about it in that, in those terms, because Jesus has suffered and been tempted like we are, because he's been there, uh, Jesus isn't God isn't distant from our suffering, but God literally suffers with us. He suffers alongside of us because he went through what we've been through. But also because God has chosen to be impacted by the world to feel our pain, and we see part of that in the incarnation. So it's not only that God is distant in the midst of our suffering and temptation and can from a distance provide us help, but it's God is literally there suffering with us. He's there, as it says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Mm. God is literally with us, walking alongside of us through the valley of the shadow of death. So his his help, his care, his peace, his joy, whatever it is that he provides in the midst of those times in our lives, it's not something that he provides from a distance. It's not something, if you will, that he has to send send overnight through UPS to get to us. He's literally right there beside us as we're suffering and suffering along with us to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death. I've got nothing to add uh, to any of that, except for uh, nice to 
record again after so long a forced uh, hiatus. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's nice to be back uh, to record and to uh, thank you to everyone listening. Uh, we will, I mean, we're going to plan to have another one here for you in a couple weeks. So uh, welcome back on the, the listening train. Don't forget to study some of the stuff that we, some of the bonuses about uh, parenthetical statements and such uh, in Mark and John. Uh, if you're looking for more extra study stuff there, Uh, But make sure that you take away most of all from all of this, that Jesus being fully human and fully God, the significance that Spencer just laid out for us uh, in salvation and seeing God and his love uh, and uh, God's understanding and walking through us in our our, uh, suffering and and struggles. So uh, this has been Thinking Theologically. I'm Jack. That's Spencer. We'll see you next time.